Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 120 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week, we're up to Alliances. It's episode number 13 of the second season of Stargate Universe. That's our main discussion topic today. Well, we, we just got the Twin Destinies podcast up a few days ago, if you missed it. That was an epic marathon Props to Russell for getting through that. Yeah, thanks that to Russell nuts. for the extra hard uh, work of editing it, and thanks, of course, to our special guest last week, Diana Botsford. So I spent a good part of my Friday evening listening to that show, and there's a huge amount of stuff in it. I haven't and had a chance to actually hear it all. Is it is it good? Is it a good, was it a good show? It's a good show. It's a long good. show, but uh, I definitely commend it. Uh, and in comparison, Alliances is just sort of a small, almost quiet episode. Yeah. By comparison. Yeah. It's designed, I mean, you you can tell that, that this episode was designed to pay for an episode like Twin Destinies. You know, it's it's much more, it's it's much more uh, confined and uh, character focused. And, you know, the, the it's visual effects light. And, you know, they're, they're, this is, this is one of the benefits, I think, of, of science fiction storytelling. The, the cost of episodes like Twin Destinies force you to do these smaller, more compact stories that have the opportunity to do more character beats than mm. a normal action show could do. So I, I think, uh, I think this, is, this is a great opportunity to, uh, when you use your money wisely, you can, you, can, you, know, you can create episodes like Solitudes and have them be sometimes more memorable than the action-heavy ones. Yeah, you can amortize those costs with, uh, w- with less expensive episodes. So we, we have our standing sets here. We have a couple of big guest stars in alliances. Uh, and then we've got the corridors of Homeworld Command and mm-hmm. sort of lots of rubble. Which could have, I mean, just been... One, uh, an L-shaped hallway, you know that they that they constructed and then destroyed, mm-hmm. and then you have the small interior of the cargo ship. So it's really, I mean, it's not a lot. It, it's if if you're clever with it, that's that you don't have to do a lot of set changes with that at all. Yeah, and yet it it lets us, like you said, it lets us see important aspects mm-hmm. of uh, of character interaction, like one of the little snippets in the previously on. SGU goes all the way back, I think, to the pilot. If it, if it wasn't in, in one of the air episodes, the three-parter, uh, it was soon thereafter, this exchange with Greer and Camille Ray mm-hmm. over the fact of, you know, he was, when they were on Icarus base, he was in confinement. Uh, he mm-hmm. was being subject to some sort of disciplinary action, and she was, uh, you know, human resources chief for the base. And she said something to him like, uh, "You were in detention you know, for a good reason." For a good reason, and uh, pounded it, Telford it may not be up to you or up to Young to go ahead and let him out. Uh-huh. So these two have been at loggerheads for a long time, really. Uh, so it's nice to see them forced to to uh, come to terms with it a little bit. That was the great thing about this episode. I mean, in terms of a, a Greer Ray episode and and getting these characters to. To, to get to know each other a little bit better. I wouldn't say understand each other, but uh, but certainly open up to one another a little, especially in that last scene. This was a very successful show. 
Yeah, she sort of forces him to go use the communication stones to go back to Earth with her. He's the only one on board who hasn't done it yet. So she pretty easily convinces Young, I think, to order him to go. Mm. You know, he's a military guy. He's by the book. He's going to do what his CO tells him to do. But that sort of, you know, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to talk with her about his feelings. He doesn't mm. want to process. And, it, yeah, it leads up to this really sweet moment at the end of this, the episode when they're back on Destiny. And she opens up to, to Greer about Sharon lives in D.C. And Actually, Greer, Greer is the one who spawns that. He's yeah, the one he sort who, of initiates it, doesn't he? He was the one who found out. Uh, he he said that she he knew that she had someone in Washington. Yeah, and then that prompts him to open up when mm-hmm. when he knows he doesn't have to. He knows he's talking to the HR lady, and he's, <laughs> he's willing to do it. You know, he's willing to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So Telford, played by Lou Diamond Phillips, is back in this episode, and he uh, he appears on the ship, uh, letting us know that a U.S. senator. And the uh, the guy now in charge of uh, one of the divisions of Stargate Command uh, are going to be paying Destiny a visit to look into perhaps the long term viability of uh, this mission. So that's that's where we're, uh, that's where it starts. Kind of like housekeeping, really. Yeah, these, these folks are coming on board, and it's the idea that some of our people are now willing to stay on board and want to stay on board, and we're sort of giving up on the idea of dialing home uh, inside of a star. Mm. Uh, Senator Michaels clears that up first thing. Are we mm-hmm. giving up on this idea? Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, if these people are on this ship now, what she's exploring is the possibility that Earth might set up another Icarus-type base uh, on another Icarus-type planet so that they can dial one way, only one way to death. Send out supplies. And send supplies. And and. In uh, that conversation that she has with TJ, possibly even people, you know, maybe we could send a, a real medical doctor to be a part of the crew. And, and TJ sort of speculates that uh, she can't imagine anybody wanting to do that because it could very well trip. be a one-way trip. Yeah. So, yeah, Senator Michaels is uh, – she's kind of the new Kinsey, isn't she? She uh, controls the purse strings. Yeah. For not just for Stargate Command but for all of uh, the sort of off-world expenditures. There is definitely that quality to her. She has a, uh, an, a, an established relationship with the Armstrong family. We find out very quickly that uh, she uh, is, is a close personal friend of Chloe's mother and is, uh, uh, seeks Chloe out on the ship. And this is probably my first beef with this episode. We, we never hear, I don't think we hear what her first name is. And, and Chloe doesn't call her by her first name, which, which sent out a flag to me. I mean, she's hugging this woman and holding her hand around the ship, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's known she her since she was little. I understand she's a senator, but I mean, I would have called her by her first name. And I, I, at the very least, I wouldn't have called her by her title. I just, I just thought that that was odd. That's all. Had that not flagged with you at all? It came across a little, a little awkward because they are so familiar with each other. Supposed but, to be, yeah. But yeah, she is a U.S. senator. I mean, if you grew up with the president, I imagine you might still call him Mr. President, at least every now and again. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the truth. Hi, my name's Cody from Pittsburgh, Indiana. Uh, calling about the recent episode of Alliance. Again, I think that was another great episode. Uh, just some um, good thoughts about the episode. Uh, I love seeing Freddy from the first Target movie guest starring in the uh, episode. Uh, another, uh, I like how uh, people on the ship um, are not noticing the people who are switched on the stones. They take a second to recognize that. 
Uh, another thing I like is how the problems between uh, Greer and Camille are worked out now, and their relationship can move forward. Uh, some bad things I thought about Solomon episode is when the senator is on the bridge seeing Chloe, that the, you can see the green from the green screen reflecting off of uh, part of the bridge. Another thought it was very convenient that the tape uh, was in the office drawer um, after the building collapsed. French Stewart is back in Stargate. Yeah, he's the other big cast member here. I haven't seen him on Stargate for a while. 14 years, um, more or less. Or even more than that, I guess. More than that, no. Like Seventeen uh, years. Seventeen years. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't recognize him at all. I haven't seen anything that he's done in a long time. I had. I. Yeah. I well, was you like, watched Is Third that Rock him? Sun, didn't you? I watched a couple of episodes, but even then, that was that. That was right. Uh, that was around the time of Stargate, anyway. So, what, wasn't it just a couple of years later that that went on? After that, yeah, I think it was like a mid '90s show. So yep. he was kind of a young scrawny guy mm-hmm. and he's not anymore he's he's older and and he's puffed up a little and it's still still a good character it was definitely a good character i, I just didn't <laughs> i just didn't recognize him <laughs> yeah so the character's name is dr andrew covell and he's uh i don't remember the exact uh reference to what his job is i suppose i could look it up in the transcript here though well, the point is that they were uh he was um invited to uh be the scientific lead at icarus space uh, before they turned to Nicholas Rush. They were both hired out of, um, right, what, which right. college was it? Uh, they were both picked up by Stargate Command roughly at the same time. Yeah, Rush says that they worked at, at Cornell together. Cornell, briefly, that's what it was. Before he was. Uh, before they were both recruited into the Stargate program. That's right. Very, uh, pretty pretty familiar with, with one another. They, they don't, uh, I thought it was interesting, Volker and uh, Brody, you know, asked to know about this guy and from Rush, and Rush doesn't have a lot to say to them. We you know we later find out that they're, even though they're um, they're civil with one another, you know there there are some there are some concerns there. Yeah, it's a pretty weird relationship, and this weird little beat on the bridge where mm-hmm. Cobble's like, you know, I got to hand it to you, Nick. This is pretty awesome. I had my doubts, and congratulations. And he goes and shakes his hand. Mm-hmm. And Rush is just not sure what to do with that i mean aside from the fact that he's been away from earth for a few years now and and sort of on destiny away from civilization for for quite a while we don't shake hands when was the last time we saw a handshake yeah it's it's unusual but it's it's pretty it's pretty weird because i think i think things were probably these guys were not buddies no Uh, so it's it's like couple maybe seems to be playing at something Mm -hmm. but it's uh, i mean a lot of stuff is brought up about the signal from God in this episode, mm-hmm. and he's and he's concerned uh, that you know once this gets out, you know everyone's going to be trying to use this to their advantage. Politicians, you know, the, everyone. Um, this this will change a lot of things. You know, Rush is is just like let's just forget all the politics. This is this is why we're out here. Let's do this. And, you know, Cobble's trying to say, well, this is going to be the consequence if we continue to pursue this. You know, if we, if we don't pull the plug on this thing, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with the ramifications of going out and perhaps finding God. And I suppose that, I mean, the Stargate program is still a secret on earth, um, but uh, it may come out eventually. So we've spent a whole lot of money doing things like setting up a second Icarus base so that we can 
can fund this this research project basically i think is is what they're looking at now Covell has come on board in order to determine if this signal from the cosmic background radiation from the beginning of the universe is legit and is is uh important enough that that earth should actually fund this mm-hmm. and and you know supply this mission actually take it on board as Earth's mission, and with the stones, it's basically word of mouth. Anyway, you know, you're not in your own body. You're, yeah, you're that was an interesting point. Yeah, you're experiencing existence through someone else, and uh, that, I mean, he has that. He has that great long line about you know, I'm, 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 I'm hearing a signal that was created close to the very beginning of of the cosmos. You know, through running through alien algorithms that that I can't, I can barely understand. You know, that's that was that was a great beat. He also established, uh, again, that destiny represents uh, the oldest version of ancient uh, technology that we've ever discovered, even older than yeah. both the Milky Way and Pegasus, what was found in those two galaxies. So yeah, that's an important line. I think that that's, I think that, I mean, if, if, you, if you can't believe anything else, you can basically believe from that, that destiny is the oldest version of any kind of technology of ancient design that we've ever found. So destiny is older than Atlantis. Period. <laughs> Put a course, period have, on it and move on. Well, then you have that argument that the ancients were living in Atlantis up until 10,000 years ago, so of course they would have upgraded everything as they went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had an interesting argument with, with my boss who was watching the show the other day. Uh, he said, you, I was like, why? At, at, so Atlantis you know, is, is so pristine and, and you know, destiny is so old and damaged even though no one's ever lived on it. He said, well... You have to understand, just remember, Atlantis was being maintained for millions of years. Exactly. You know, it was only not maintained for the last 10,000. It was sitting dormant under a protective shield at the bottom of the ocean. This ship mm-hmm. has been on its own for millions of years, completely mm-hmm. With not aliens being sort of picking at it? Yeah, yeah. It getting, getting pummeled by asteroids? Who knows? It's been, it's been fending for itself. So I thought that was an interesting point because I've always, you know, taken issue with the fact that Destiny is so worn out, you know, and Atlantis yeah. is so perfect looking. So Dr. Covell is, uh, I get the impression that Rush thinks he's kind of a twit. He doesn't have a, a whole from lot Rush's of respect perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he but doesn't. But it's, uh, I don't know what it is because, you know, he, he thinks, he, you know, he thinks less of, Volker and Brody, but treats them certainly with more respect. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that a great beat with um, with Kavel, with uh, with Eli and 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 Brody and Volker? The the glaring look on on Dale's face when uh, Eli is told that he is the boy wonder. Did you catch that? <laughs> that was fantastic. The the cont- the genuine contempt on those two scientists' faces when Eli turns to them. I, I laughed out loud. Mm. That was great. I, this this role um, for for French Stewart was not entirely what I expected. I suppose I expected him to live a little bit longer. Hey, he dies. Uh, yeah, we. Well, we, we think he dies. Uh, the episode ends with uh, the expectation that, that both the senator and the doctor have been exposed to lethal levels yeah. of radiation and are not going to be making it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what this role does is it, it really continues to demonstrate what a broad range French Stewart has as an actor. Go back and watch Stargate the movie. He plays Ferretti, who's mm-hmm. a, a cocky military guy. Yeah. And then, you know, his his role in Third Rock from the Sun is obviously miles apart from that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, I sort of expect that sort of weirdness and kookiness of that character to, to come into this role a bit, and it doesn't. You know, no, he's, he's just, much more of a straight man. You know, he's military. Yeah, that's that's yeah, one he's kind thing. of a straight man. No, he's not. Is he? No, he's not military. Is he? I don't think so. No. No, never. I, I, you know, why I said he's military because he was in Gru's uniform. So that's not true. Oh, yeah, right. he's in Gru's uniform for most of that episode. He's not military. I take that back. But yeah, it's very different character from the alien that he played in Third Rock and and Louis Ferretti. And then he it, he's sort of the bad guy of the piece by the end of it because mm-hmm. we have uh, this problem where whenever the ship goes in or out of FTL travel, there's a momentary interruption with the communication stones, and that is used brilliantly as a story point mm-hmm. in this episode. He uh, it lasts see the Geiger counter to twelve seconds, and it's long enough for uh, Covel to see the Geiger counter and know that they're dead. Yeah, and so he goes and he messes with, uh, with the communication stones technology and uh, prevents the connection from being cut off. Mm-hmm. So when Camille and Greer get sent back to Earth, they're immediately asked for, uh, for her, uh, author- her identification. And uh, Telford uh, lets us know that Intel has uh, suggested Homeworld Command is about to be attacked. The Pentagon is about to be attacked. It's it's not exactly established in this episode that uh, in this episode specifically that where that what's going on is happening at the Pentagon. There's one visual effects shot uh, that does uh, that does call out to a large building. This is definitely uh, Washington D.C. is basically under attack in this episode from the Lucian Alliance, which is very critical. And I don't I, I think that's that's it's probably one of the most dramatic things that that the story has that the that stargate has ever done washington dc is about to be attacked and oh, uh, it's successfully attacked and it's successfully attacked but it's not it's not played up so much i mean one of my beefs with this show is you don't see o'neill and this is o'neill's office and he's nowhere mm. to be found and he would have been yeah. on the ground there presumably um, we're at homeworld command i don't remember seeing an establishing shot of the pentagon there is no one. establishing shot there's just a wide shot of people leaving okay. the building the side but yeah you can see the side of the of the building yeah but when we've seen homeworld command in the past it's uh, they do establishing shots footage, yeah of of the pentagon to tell us that homeworld command is located inside the pentagon yeah. now i don't know if we're a hundred percent sure if the communication stones room or facility is is in the pentagon itself or is maybe off-site they said the north end of of the inside of the building which suggests that the the large courtyard in the middle of of the pentagon so they're it's definitely there it Um, wouldn't make sense if it was off-site because you constantly have somebody popping up from destiny who needs to run to o'neill and have a quick chat so. That whole department, I think you can safely say, is at the the inner north end of of the Pentagon. That all of Homeworld Command, or at least it was until they blew it up. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. That, I, I mean, I know for a fact that the the Homeworld Command sets uh, were deconstructed at the end of season one. So I mean, it, it I it's it's kind of uh, perfect that they destroyed the sets so that they don't have to go back to them anymore. I'm just surprised that it took this long. Now that I think about it. Mm. Yeah, and I kind of wonder how big the destruction was if that set where, you know, the offices with Walter and, and mm-hmm. O'Neill's office, if, if that part of Homeworld Command was successfully destroyed by the mm-hmm. this... Uh, it's kind of like a kamikaze run, and I don't think it was supposed to be a kamikaze run, because Camille sort of speculates that 
this Lucian Alliance pilot was apparently probably supposed to set down quietly, cloaked, and walk away and let the bomb go off. Yeah, what happened there? Are we supposed to infer that there was some kind of a navigational error that made him crash into the into the Pentagon? It's it's kind of like a, a fortuitous happenstance that uh, that the ship crashed. Yeah. The, uh, otherwise, the we would question. have never have found the ship, and it would have blown up. Yeah. And I mean, you're right that, that we... Don't as as big of a deal in the Stargate universe as this is uh, an attack on Washington D.C. It's it's a really interesting choice from the producers' part that we see this entirely from Greer and Ray's point of view. Mm-hmm. It's just our characters. We're following our characters from Destiny mm-hmm. through the corridor of this, and we don't get the macro view. We don't get to see the ship running the the blockade and and getting past the Hammond and and going into the atmosphere and crashing. Uh, we don't see the commanders on the ground. We don't see what Jack O'Neill is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just our characters, and we get a little bit with Telford outside because he's one of our characters. Hi, this is Daniel from Idaho. I was just calling to call about uh, the new SGU episode, Alliances. I thought it was uh, it was well done. I liked how they expanded the uh, relationship between Greer and Camille. Uh, I was always a little bit uncomfortable when they were at odds, and... Uh, that was nice to see, and also on the previous episode, you noted how it would have been nicer if you could see some explosions from the seed ship. I thought it would have been nice in this episode if you would have seen the uh, Lucian Alliance cargo ship crash, and supposedly there was a there was a spy with them, the airman that was underground, and uh, maybe showing him getting away from the explosion. Other than that, I really liked uh, the episode. It was well shot. It uh, it expanded on story. There just wasn't as uh, wasn't as much action, but that's not what completely makes a good episode. And a couple of things for that. I think I think the one the big thing is the budget wouldn't have allowed that. And two, the other thing sure. is the Pentagon was attacked on September 11th. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is kind of a big deal. This is a really big deal, and they don't. Again, they don't. They don't play that kind of big deal in the episode. You know, it's just a, it's about Camille and and Ron trying to to get out, and then about um, after that, about uh, Camille and Ron trying to deactivate the bomb. You know, mm-hmm. but this is this is going to be all over the news for a long time, and I hope that it has consequences in the next uh, several episodes. And I, I suspect yeah. with how it ends, it's going to with with how with how this episode ends. We don't we don't have a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah, we have very little information about what's going on. What uh, I mean, we can sort of assume as savvy viewers of television that Washington D.C. is not being destroyed in the next episode. Yeah. But, um, but I don't know. Maybe the bomb goes off. We'll see. Yeah, we sort of are left to speculate about this pilot and what his mission was and what went wrong and did he did he do things the way he was supposed to. Camille speculates that maybe he was supposed to just land quietly and walk away, which is why uh, he's dressed like he is. It would have enabled him to get out. Why do you think he's dressed like he is? Because, I was so wondering if he, he could have landed he the find ship, somebody and clobber them nah, and take their clothes. No, nah, the Illusion Alliance were on Earth for a very long time. They had a great deal okay. of intelligence. They, I mean, so they, maybe they he were brought ready this, to go. He brought those clothes with him, right? So that when he landed the cargo ship, he could have walked straight out of there and wouldn't have have turned any heads. That's one of the other things that that irks me. Um, I, I know that it was that it was chaotic but you know ray tells telford the officer's name 
I'm sure if Telford were here, he would he would say, excuse me, I didn't have time to check. <laughs> no, I wasn't near a computer. Mm-hmm. I couldn't type his name in and see if he was on staff or not. But no, nah, he he was he was prepared to uh, land the ship and walk out of the Pentagon. It, had he been in Lucian Alliance uniform, he couldn't have done that. But still, all the same, what happened to the mission? Why why did he crash it? And if he had yeah, well, because other... if he hadn't crashed it, it wouldn't have worked. The other question here, yeah, we we wouldn't have uh, necessarily known mm-hmm. about the bomb at all, and maybe the bomb would have gone off, mm-hmm. assuming that Senator Michaels is able to to defuse it. Um, but the other side of this question is, how could a cloaked Gould cargo ship get past Earth's defenses? We have all this technology, the technology of the Asgards. We've been at this for a long time. We have battleships. Presumably, one is is constantly guarding Earth. Mm. Uh, although there's there's not an immediate threat from the Ori or the the um, Gould anymore, so maybe that's not the case. But I would imagine that Earth's defenses are pretty significant. Well, we have we know there's an illusion cloaks. So. Yeah. So I mean, are you telling me that with all the technology we have now, and being in a height on a heightened state of alert because we know the Lucian Alliance is threatening to attack our planet? Are you telling me that a cloaked Gould cargo ship yeah. made it past our defenses? There is there is a lot that this episode asks us to take uh, on faith. For one thing, where are our battleships? There is no mention of the Hammond. There is no mention of the Odyssey. None of them. Because yeah, if they because were there... Because it's all from Camille's point of view and, and Ron's point of view. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, Telford uh, would have been able to tell them, you know, all of our battleships are out of range, so we can't transport you out of the building. There's, yeah, beaming them away to safety. They didn't is, beam uh, them away to safety. They question. don't even touch that. They, they That's don't... the sort of thing that in, in the last couple of years of SG-1 would have happened in the first four minutes. Exactly. There's, there's no sign that the, that the planet is, is being defended by a, a battleship. And I would have been perfectly happy with an explanation that all the battleships are away right now. You know, perfectly yeah. fine. One sentence, that's got it. But there's no, there's no mention of it well, at all. Up until two years ago, Earth's main defensive weapon was the ancient sure. weapons platform from Antarctica. And that was taken out in Enemy at the Gate, the series finale of Atlantis. So I imagine that since then, we've probably been trying to beef things up, but we don't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's what I'm, what I'm speculating about this guy and his mission. If, if the plan was to cloak and land quietly and walk away, he didn't get away with it. That's not what happened. And we also had that alarm go off several seconds mm-hmm. before impact, mm-hmm. which means he was probably detected and we probably shot him down. Mm-hmm. So I think our defenses did work. They just didn't work soon enough. Got it. That's a, that's a pretty fair point right there. Yeah. Yeah. Greer recognized that alarm. (laughs) He's incoming. Yeah. That's incoming. Which, which makes uh, sense. I mean, I, I know that there was talk about anti-aircraft artillery after September 11th, you know, installing devices like this. So Homeworld Command may, you know, may have specific, I mean, they may have TERs pointed at the sky with the with the the cloaking modification turned on, and they can see this thing coming. Based on what Telford says, it's kind of hard to believe. You know, you think that he would have had more information because he was already out of the building and, and leading an evacuation. So Camille and Ron are they they survive this this crash. He sort of he knows that they only have seconds before before whatever is going to happen happens. So he throws her into a room and under a desk mm-hmm. uh, to seek shelter. And he's, he, his leg gets messed up, and she does this quick splint on him. And then they're off and going, and they meet this guy, Airman Evans, so they think, and radio with 
with Telford, and then they decide instead of going for the exit, if there's a bomb, nobody else is going to be able to get to it, so we're going to go turn around and go the other way. Mm-hmm. That raised a, a very good question that uh, French Stewart's character brought up. You know, They are in someone else's bodies. They can't get out anyway, so let's go ahead and defuse the bomb. To, to heck with uh, the radiation levels. You know, let's, let's just go ahead and defuse it. That, that Ray, I don't think that that's what, why Greer and, and Ray did what they did, but I think that raises an interesting point, you know, an mm. interesting question. When you're not in your body, are you more willing to take risks with that body? Would you be more willing to take risks depending on the situation? Yeah, and I kind of suspected from the dialogue that the reason why she was so eager to, to be the hero and go and do that was because of the yield that, that Telford was estimating that the, the device would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in the quadria uh, bomb. Yeah, I'm I'm not an expert on bomb yields at all, or the size of Washington D.C. or the location of the Pentagon, but I imagine you're probably talking about a pretty significant chunk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the capital of the nation. So, yeah, you, this would even have had if you could get out of the building, time. you're not necessarily going to get far enough away in time. Mm-hmm. So there's a uh, there's radiation leakage, and I don't think there was supposed to be radiation leak- leakage. I think that mm-hmm. happened because of the crash. Am I understanding that right? Well, Airman Evans. Certainly doesn't he was seem to certainly know planning it. on surviving <laughs> until the Geiger counter goes off. Yeah, he's he doesn't object to sort of turning around and walking back towards his ship. Presumably, he knows where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he didn't know about the radiation until the Geiger counter started flipping out. Mm-hmm. What was the purpose of the hologram on the top of the? Oh yeah, it, the bomb idea. is it is it just designed to make people have to feel around when they're when yeah. they're un, when they're un, trying to unplug it? I mean, what's the purpose of that? Yeah, I think it's it's to force you to do it blind to just make it damn hard mm-hmm. to disarm that bomb. Mm-hmm. That's Thankfully, kind of a cool we idea. Had on our hands. Yes. Yeah, Camille, for all of her lack of off-world experience, you know, she figures this out. She uses her her flashlight to sort of test the the surface of it and figures out that it's a hologram pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had those kinds of guts. I mean, even yeah. if it doesn't hurt the light, I wouldn't stick my hands in there. <laughs> yeah, well, remember, it's, um, you know, in the past, she's just been sort of, she's a civilian. She's, uh, she's the sort that the military take care of and help to evacuate as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Now she's thinking about D.C. She's thinking about the number of people who could be killed if this thing goes probably off. Probably thinking about Sharon. She's, she's probably thinking about Sharon. She's got really personal motivations for for taking these sort of risks that she might not otherwise have. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love uh, the use of uh, Varro in this episode. There's a quick beat where you see that uh, he and TJ are getting uh, very comfortable with one another. Mm-hmm. And a quick beat back to back to um, Young's character about that, too. Uh, and you also get a, a, another beat, a quick beat with Scott as well. This was a, the, probably my favorite aspect of this episode was using the jump. And the the stutter that uh, happens to the communication stones to convey information, or at least to try to, yeah. that was very yeah. clever. It doesn't ultimately work, but I was delighted that they tried that because uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it sort of serves two purposes. It drives the plot along in terms of, uh, you know, Cubble gets that little flash, looks at the Geiger counter, and knows that that they're dead, and mm-hmm. and the senator finds out that that Homeworld Command has been attacked. Mm-hmm. So it drives the plot along, and then, yeah, on the other side, the, the characters make use of it, or try to make use of it, mm-hmm. to, to convey information and get the bomb disarmed. That was probably one of my favorite aspects of this episode, really, was um, that they, 
that they grabbed that. It's just kind of this weird little thing that they came up with in season one that, that the communication stone connection gets interrupted. And it was used for weird, you know, kind of... Yeah, <laughs> intimate. Odd purposes, intimate purposes when uh, when Colonel Young goes home and is in bed with his wife. <laughs> Telford's body, and then suddenly Telford is in bed with his wife yeah. for about ten <laughs> seconds. It's just kind of odd, uh, but the fact that they they went back and grabbed that and made use of it here as a significant plot device. Was, mm-hmm. it, it, we're getting to know this uh, this new character, Doctor Cavill, throughout the episode, and we find out that he really is uh, he's rather pathetic near near the end of it. He finds out that uh you know his his body has been subjected to uh, lethal doses of radiation and he if he goes back he will not recover from it. So in the brief moment between finding out and uh, them trying to disconnect the stones, at some point he gets to a terminal somewhere and makes the adjustments, which considering as urgent as they were, uh, I, that's a little bit far-fetched that he would have said, "Hey guys, excuse me just a second while oh, I use the restroom." Yeah, away, mess with the little light box. Because as soon as they're in that next scene on the ship, they're going and and temporarily disabling the stones. So from the moment that he found that out to them disabling the stones, it's just a couple yeah, of minutes. It, there's not much time that passes because the reason why Young seems to want them to disconnect now is just because they just found out that that this is going on and Ray yeah, and Greer let's get more are, information. are in the middle of this. Yeah, and Senator Michaels also her character was. I'm not sure what to make of of. This this woman, she's yeah. got a, a great little you know personal relationship with Chloe. They go back a long ways. Uh, it's kind of of like a, a maternal figure yes. for Chloe, and, and Chloe loves like an aunt having her on board. Yeah, like an aunt. But yet, uh, Senator Michaels is kind of terrible with her. She's um, she's got this little monologue where she's like you know all these people knew that they were going to be serving off in the far reaches on some planet doing God knows what. So it's it's kind of not a terrible big deal that they end up stranded on Destiny. But you, Chloe, you, I never imagined. I never wanted this for you. She knows. Like, why are you saying that out loud? As if Chloe has some sort of a chance, uh, some sort of a choice to be on this ship. Well, uh, well That's not she, what Chloe wants to hear. She doesn't know this new Chloe. She knows the Chloe of Earth. It's safe to say that that Chloe has grown up a little bit, and uh, had mm-hmm. she known this new Chloe, I don't think she would have said some of the, half the things that she says. And then again, the woman could just be a bitch. <laughs> I mean, she or she yeah. could just be really outspoken. But I think I think she's still thinking of Chloe in terms of the the girl that she knew a year and a half ago, who was you know uh, working with with her father in the office and getting ready in political science, and that you know mm-hmm. that's that's who she's talking to, and she doesn't know all that this uh, uh th- this girl has now been involved with and and yeah. what she's experienced and that that encounter is significant to chloe because chloe i mean she she reveals to us the audience the mm-hmm. that rush sort of explained uh or that we've all sort of heard the story that the alternate rush told so chloe knows now that she was in the one other of the ones who chose to stay she decided to stay yeah. um and she she tells the senator that she feels like she's part of something important yeah. now um, that's that's significant. It's just another one of those little steps forward to this this crew wants to be here now. Mm-hmm. Doctor Cavill gets sent back against his will, and uh, the good senator supposedly stops the bomb. I think it's yeah, safe to gets, say that DC is going to be around next week. She gets her little tutorial from Varro. Mm-hmm. 
I was expecting them to to start vomiting uh, near the end of the episode. We just we just see them kind of getting sick, but uh, I, I was really expecting them to start to start throwing up at some point, just to, to further illustrate just how far gone they are. Yeah, the radiation sickness mm-hmm. that may take a, a few more hours to to set on. Yeah. So, what do you think of this ending? Now, she picks up the pin that yeah. Camille had been using, and she she gives a a really knowing, really concerted look over to Doctor Cobble, and apparently is uh, is going to set at work on this bomb. And then we go back to Destiny because again it. we're. These are these are guest stars. We're not following their story. We're following our characters, and our characters don't know what the hell's going on on Earth yet. Yeah, I thought that was a, a brilliant choice at the end. I mean, eventually we'll find out what happened. I thought that was just a great uh, a great beat. So, but one of the, one of the best scenes from the episode. She picks up that pen and and looks at him, mm-hmm. and then we know that she's going to get to work. This is the sort of ending that really screams the fact that Stargate Universe is an arc based show. Mm-hmm. That that this is a bigger story. And you can't just sort of sit down and, and eat popcorn through 60 minutes of it, and maybe you'll come back next week, and maybe you won't. Because as a, as a standalone episode, this ending is really unsatisfactory. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the whole driving you know, heartbeat, the jeopardy of the episode is whether or not this bomb's going to go off. Can we get it defused? Yeah, whether or not we can disarm it. And, and we don't get the answer. at the end of the episode, we don't know. We yeah. don't know if it has been disarmed. It's... it's I mean, I mean you know narrative structure yeah. It, yeah it's it's like breaking a million rules right. um but it it breaks it breaks those rules because SGU has decided that it's it's uh, it's doing an mm-hmm. arc based series so it's not going to allow every episode to be self-contained and I think moreover in the case of alliances because we're following our characters mm-hmm. and 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 the writers want the audience to be in that moment of of you know pregnant concern that the characters feel back on Destiny because it's going to be hours, potentially days, before you know Telford get and any word and find out that the bomb has been disabled and get in there and find the communication stones and reestablish exactly. a connection. Where where are it they could now? Be days for Destiny. Mm-hmm. It's that time again. Quibble time. I have a couple of little quibbles. One of them is really little, so let me dispense with that one really quickly because I think I actually have an explanation for it. But maybe other people out there. We're thinking the same sort of thing that I was thinking, which was this this pilot, Airman Evans, who is apparently a member of the Lucian Alliance and not a native of Earth, tends to speak in earthy colloquialism. Like shut up. He uses, he uses the term shut up. I caught that uh, too. It's kind of earthy. You know, he uses at one point when Greer and Ray start start bickering, he says, Are we really gonna do this now? Which is not necessarily a, a, a colloquialism, but it's yeah. kind of it's not, like, he, it's not like Anakin Skywalker saying, I get the picture. You know, it still irritates <laughs> the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a really minor quibble, and I think that the explanation for it is that we know that the Lucian Alliance has been studying Earth. Do we know if they've actually had people, like... They've had on people on Earth. Earth. Yeah. Incognito? Yeah. Yeah. Remember when, uh, when they meet up with, uh, with, with Daniels watching them meet with Telford? You know, oh, that sure. remote yeah. location. They take him away. last year. That's I true. I suspect that this was one of the guys who, who had been on Earth before. So he well, knows colloquialisms like shut up and things like that. 
Yeah, and that explains the cargo ship thing because the Lucian Alliance has been flying their cloaked shark cargo ships to and from Earth. They for have been quite around. A while. They have been studying us, and I'm sure if they wanted to duplicate our clothing, they could. Do it. Yeah, it's it. It wouldn't be a problem at all for them. I don't think. Which is one of the things that's kind of scary about it. Yeah, I wonder if there are other sleeper agents that are that are actually infiltrating mm-hmm. Stargate. Yeah, and there's no Gould to find. I mean, there's there's. There's really no way. It's just more like a, a political a political differences. So mm-hmm. my my quibble, we we kind of we kind of touched on one of the ones that I was wanting to talk about with the there being no reference to the ships or to transporter technology at all, or the Pentagon for that matter. I mean, or the location of of this. It was or O'Neill. Where's O'Neill? Um, sure. They don't touch on any of that which really made it from that standpoint a bizarre show considering the weight and pardon the pun the impact of this event mm. um it makes it kind of smaller mm-hmm. I mean, if they would have run all that and it does know, it does kind of hammond in orbit and shown us o'neill and, and the president is on the phone that sort or of makes the things. event bigger feel bigger but yeah, yeah this is sort of it makes this sort of a smaller story my 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 real quibble with it is uh, the title of the episode. I think this is a weak oh, title. Okay. I I really feel that this is that this is a weak title. I know what they're okay, trying. It's the first time we're quibbling over episode titles, right? I, I I know what they were trying to go for with the title, but I think I think you know I could have come up with a better title in ten fifteen. Okay. Minutes. Well, what's your title then? Well, don't put me on. The- <laughs> <laughs> now you're gonna put. Well, do you have ten fifteen minutes? I mean, I, I think I could probably Getting think together. up a good one by then. The title is getting together. Getting together. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think is uh, is the writers meant by alliances? Who is being allied? Well, you've got uh, the, a lot of this is talking about you know what was kind of established in the previous episode. You know, Chloe deciding which side she's on. Mm. Uh, alliances are not j- just determined by you know political affiliations, but also like interests. What. Uh, uh, <laughs> who on the ship is willing to stay and see the mission through who is willing to take it home you know mm-hmm. i just and even that barely you know is 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 involved in the show i just think it's a really weak title i mean i would have uh, yeah i can't i can't think of a of a more appropriate title i mean maybe that was their problem as well they couldn't think of a more appropriate title i mean there's something like you know, you've got you've got a ticking clock element, which is which is common in a lot of stargate and a lot of science fiction you know you don't know when this bomb is going to go off I mean, this this episode really is is about a lot of different things, and I don't I just don't know if alliances is the is the right choice for it. You know, an episode mm-hmm. title is very important. You know, the, the Stargate actually has has been has been really terrific in the past about creating episode titles that uh, that have multiple layers on them. You look at a show like Redemption, uh, one and two. There is uh, there are three and four levels of redemption in that episode it's not just teal yeah. it's not just jonas but it's also rodney and there's some great titles in Stargate. yeah there are some pretense good, yeah between two fires you you've got uh, you've got a lot of good stuff in there and and that's that's probably why this just sticks out like a sore thumb to me is just i just mm-hmm. don't i just don't get that episode title from it not really all right so. well i think if you're going to criticize the title you have to think of another one i have to think of another one bomb spend your, no spend um, your week on it spend my week on it Kaboom! How about kaboom? Kaboom! <laughs> Jeez, I, I would have. Anything it, it, happened on the way to? It, it, this is this is very important. Oh, so, I mean, I would call it like something like the attack, you know, because this is this is a very significant, you know, successful yeah, assault or the assault. That's actually something that we haven't talked about yet, which is 
we've heard about the Lucian Alliance attack on Earth, or their their intentions to attack Earth from the beginning of season two. And the question I have is, is this it? Mm-hmm. Was this their one plan, or is this sort of the prelude to something bigger? I think that there's a good chance that this was the plan, and now that it failed, they're going to have to do something else. So they're going to yeah, try again. Come up with something else. Yeah, the uh, Bin yeah. Ladens of the galaxy out yeah. there. I mean, d- 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 destroying Washington, D.C., that really would have been cutting out your enemy's heart with a scalpel, I think, if I may borrow from, uh, from absolute power. That's, that, that really would have gotten us. I mean, it would have crippled yeah. us. The sort of key moment where Camille figures out that Airman Evans is Lucian Alliance mm. is because, uh, you know, he's got her um, with a, I don't know if it's, what does he have, a pen to her neck or something like that? Wasn't it a, wasn't it an X-Acto knife? It's like a, sh- a, a X-Acto knife or a sharp I thought it, I, I thought know. it was an X-Acto knife, like a box cutter or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. But she's figured out at this point that he is Lucian Alliance because he, because he said that she's not a scientist. Because she, he said that she's not a scientist. He said, uh, you know, she's looking at the Geiger counter, and you know, we're going to be okay. And Which, or no, no, she says we're dead already, and he wants to leave and take his chances at surviving. Uh-huh. And he says, you don't know, you're not a scientist. And so she takes from this and figures out that that he's not supposed to know that much information about her. Uh, but only because Telford, when he was brainwashed by the Lucian Alliance, was giving Gave him profiles files. on everybody. It's, everybody for destiny. It's a so, little bit of a stretch, ain't it? Well, my quibble is that um, Camille's not a scientist, and you know what? Michaels, Senator Michaels, whose body she's in, is not a scientist either. So if this was just some hapless airman who got caught in a collapsed building... He doesn't necessarily know that she is not Senator Michaels, that she's somebody from destiny mm-hmm. in her body. Are you uh, sure so she he, didn't announce herself to him, his, her name? I don't know. Maybe. We can go back and check the transcript. Check the transcript? Uh, she I may have done it. I don't recall that mm-hmm. she did that. So I'm thinking Airman Evans thinks this is Senator Michaels. He probably recognizes her, and he knows that, that Senator Michaels is not a scientist. So uh, Camille ends up being right at the end of the day, but I don't think her logic was airtight. It was a little bit of a gamble, I think, yeah. But, you know, when he when he turns on her like that, this officer, it's probably safe to say he was trained for things like this. It's yeah, he's a not little sure. unusual that he would be he would be doing this. So and he's yeah. but either way, she he's already threatened her life at this point. So if Greer has to kill him in this kind of a situation I, pro- I, I wouldn't have aimed for the, for the chest. I probably would have aimed for the leg, taken him down. But, uh, mm. you know, it's, he's, already, he's already kind of sealed his fate by taking yeah. her hostage. Yeah. yeah he's certainly not acting very, very much uh, in line with the Air Force. Well, those are our thoughts on Alliances, episode 13 of season two of Stargate Universe. And we have a little bit more voicemail to get to this week. Let's listen. Listen and mail. Hi, this is Tyler from the Seattle area. And I just wanted to give my thoughts on the most recent couple of the SGU and the ratings and all that. Um, I remember watching Twin Destinies and thinking, holy crap, this is an amazing episode. Well done to the team. And then... I thought the same thing when I was watching Alliances. I couldn't believe what was going on. It was amazing. I loved the use of Earth. 
I loved the fact that they had the character development. And I just can't believe that the ratings were that low for both episodes. Um, like, why are people just giving up on the show? Watch the show either way. Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, I'm hoping there's a good future for Stargate somewhere. And I'm hoping that we get to get all the movies that we were originally told were going to happen, as well as, you know, some movies for SGU to finish up their storyline, because I really want to see the rest of those stories. Hey, Darren and David, this is Richard from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I was actually just trying to catch up on your uh, podcast. I was listening to episode 117, and you mentioned uh, about passing through the event horizon in Stargate. Uh, from the opposite side and uh, wouldn't it stand to reason that if uh, you're passing through the event horizon going what's theoretically forward uh, with velocity you come out with the same velocity wouldn't it just be negative velocity going the other direction so you just pop out the other way um, kind of surprised they haven't uh, explored this with someone like popping out and hitting a wall or something hi uh, my name is patrick i live in jacksonville florida this episode uh, the last one and this one are awesome uh, they got all the spare parts. Uh, hopefully, get the weapons back online. There, there's so much that can that can keep us going with this uh, show. Um, that's it, it's finally you know the writers. It's sad that that you know we know that uh, they're going to be getting rid of SGU, and the damn thing's getting good. Okay, uh, I mean. Uh, <laughs> It doesn't make sense, and and uh, I I'm so tired of it. Uh, and like I've said before, writing in the forums, uh, uh, sci-fi, you guys are going the wrong direction. And and I've already pledged to myself and my friends, and a lot of us talk about it at work, is that if you get rid of SGU, that is it. Hey guys, this is Adam from Salt Lake City. I just wanted to comment briefly on Eli's emotional journey so far, or rather his lack thereof. Uh, if you take a look at his story so far, he started off with him being basically abducted by General O'Neill without so much as a uh, decent pair of pants. On his way to, uh, I forget the name of the planet, he uh, meets this gorgeous young woman, Chloe, who he falls head over heels for, gets transported halfway across the universe, stranded on destiny, loses the girl because he's busy in the control room trying to save the ship while Matthew Scott, who's got nothing to shoot at at the moment, gets to comfort her over the loss of her dad, gets to spend the next few months watching the two of them build their relationship and pine away over finally gets the chance to uh, be the hero and carry her injured body halfway across the ship when she gets shot, gets the proverbial, you're such a good friend speech as a reward for that, finally starts to get over when he meets, uh, what's her name from the Lucian Alliance, promptly watches her get murdered, doesn't get the chance to get any payback for that, and now he seems fine with all that. If I were in his place, I would have taken a swing at Scott a long time ago. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I was hoping to see the character go somewhat dark after all he's been through, but it seems like they 
don't intend to go that direction with him. There has been a, a lack of Eli focus in the last uh, several episodes. We haven't spent a lot of time with him. He's normally front and center, but he's really – this season in particular, I think he's really been kind mm. of placed to the side, the boy wonder, uh, and in more, of a, in more of a supporting role along with the other scientists. But I, th- I think Adam raises a fairly decent point here. You know, I, As much talking as has been done with him – since uh, since the death of of Gin, you know, a lot of people have been talking with him and talking with him about it. He hasn't really had an emotional shift. He's kind of been more or less. Uh, he's been kind of depressed, but yeah. his his ad- his behavior hasn't really changed a whole lot. I think that would have been kind of interesting to see. You know, he's really kind of uh, uh, he's not as innocent as he was before, but he's still kind of the sweet and loving guy. You know, I I think that it's it, I think that it's time for there to be shades to be introduced to this character. I'm not saying to make him a bad guy, but I'm saying make him not so you know the guy in his basement reading comics and playing World of Warcraft and you know well <laughs> I wouldn't call it episode four. I think it's I think it's time for that character to grow up a little bit more. I think this is one of the more amazing yeah, characters that have ever been introduced in. Uh, That's in a Stargate. good way to put it. We we got a little bit in. Was it in Visitation or Resurgence um, back in the fall where Camille's sort of, you know, trying to get him to talk about, about mm-hmm. the loss of Gin and all this. And he's shut down and he's sitting in his room, you know, just sort of turns inward, which is, is completely consistent for a character like him, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's probably largely introverted and mm-hmm. um, lost a girl that he was falling in love with. And uh, that's where he's going to go probably is he's, he's going to shut down and turn inward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's. Um, I wouldn't call it a lack of an emotional journey, but more of a of a very inwardly directed yeah. emotional journey, which doesn't necessarily make for great television because he's not you know freaking out and throwing things around the room. Right. But I, I, and I wouldn't have expected him to go like Rush did, where went all Western and and went and went after the guy and shot him. But I would have expected. Yeah. Although we thought about it. Yeah, yeah, he tried. He did. He tried. But I would have expected something from that, and we never got it. You know, Gin's death is. Uh, <clears throat> kind of been brushed over, which I think is about to take an interesting turn, but we'll see. Yeah, if only that storyline wasn't quite done yet. Well, what's coming up on the podcast? Ah, we've got hope. Episode 121. There is still, there is still, still hope. hope for someone. Yeah, on April the 4th, you're going, hopefully, to have that uh, episode. We're, we're hopefully going to have that episode published for you by then. Uh, that's episode 121 of the Gate World podcast. 122 is one that a lot of uh, of fans have been looking forward to. Seizure, yeah. seizure. seizure will be on April the uh, 11th, and then uh, airs on uh, April 4th, and that's the one that has some uh, big guest stars that we're looking forward to from not only from past Stargate but also uh, a big uh, actor that I love from shows like Alias is going to be guest starring on that Mm. one. But we won't talk about it anymore until it gets here. And then after Seizure is The Hunt that airs on April 11th. So that will be the subject of our April 18th podcast, number 123. Do you know what they're hunting for? Um, We got some new plot details, yeah, on all of the episodes that are airing in April, which is Seizure, The Hunt, Common Descent, and Epilogue. Yeah, when you uh, episode fifteen through eighteen. So if you want to know some some uh, little details about what those stories are about, go to GateWorld and check it out. Yeah. Uh, I think that I learned. I'm not going to talk about it now, 
because uh, the podcast is supposed to be spoiler free. But uh, I think listening to the Twin Destinies podcast last week, I think that David totally called something. <laughs> really? I think you nailed it. I haven't read the spoilers, but oh yeah, and they weren't out yet when we when we uh, recorded. And I, I still haven't read the spoilers, but I'm thinking that you know all those people disappearing through the Stargate. That was, and I mean, it's it's mentioned in this episode briefly, and this may not be what you're talking about, and I don't want to know, but um, mm-hmm. it was too much of an open and shut case. They 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 mention it in this show, and uh, Rush is like, well, most likely they just disappeared. I don't know. I I think yeah. that it's something yeah, like they probably just died in the wormhole. No, no, the the gate jumped. It had to have. Now whether it jumped here in, in near where we are, or where whether it jumped in the Milky Way galaxy, that's. I don't know, yeah. but I think those people yeah. are and out whether there it somewhere. jumped in space or jumped in time or both. Mm-hmm. I could be completely wrong, but we'll see. We shall see. I'm so stoked about the episodes that are coming up. Every single one of them is just really intriguing to me. What we found out so far. So I think that Stargate Universe is going to go out with a bang. That's our show for this week. Thanks everybody for tuning into the podcast once again. Thanks to Russell for editing the show, and thanks to David for sharing his nuggets of wisdom if you want to give us a call on the gateworld podcast hotline you can share your thoughts on this week's episode hope which airs monday night on sci-fi channel and tuesday night on space up in canada the hotline number is area code 951-262-1647 or if you don't want to call in and leave us a voicemail you can make a brief audio recording on your computer and email it to webmaster at gateworld.net our podcast feedback thread is always open to you and at your disposal in the gateworld form under the gateworld features heading near the top of the page as well as darren's show notes uh if you're an itunes listener be advised that uh, gateworld has a new story that uh coincides with every uh podcast release that has all of the links that uh, you're looking for for all the uh, for all the proper nouns uh, in this episode most of them anyway the ones that apply to stargate at least yeah, and all those past episodes that we mentioned, especially from from the past series SG One and Atlantis, if you if you uh, are a new Stargate fan with with SGU, then you can mm-hmm. figure out what the heck we're talking about. We recognize that there are listeners out there that don't uh, that aren't always as up to speed as we are, so that's why we put those in there. So when we do yeah. mention something like Contraya, you can go and find out what the <laughs> hell it is. Well, I hope that everybody out there who's listening is enjoying these final episodes of SGU as much as we are, and we hope to see you back next week for more of the Gate World Podcast.